Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. have been in the Gospel of John, as you know, and we're in chapter 6 now, which is uh, pretty amazing. It just gets more amazing and more amazing, and uh, all these messages are getting documented uh, word for word, and we've been talking as a team, and I mentioned this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, that, and I'm loving that, that we're meeting together as prayer, and uh, we had a great time of fellowship, really, on Wednesday. Uh, oh, that's language, it's all church language, isn't it? It's great. And we had a great time on Wednesday just praying with each other and praying for everything that was happening. There was a real unity and bond together. Uh, no, I just love it. I love, I love where we're at and I love what we're, we're doing and where we're going as a church and building a church in peace and God's word, solo scriptura, if you like. Uh, and as we've been talking with the team as we document all these messages, and it's, it's, it's laborious task, but... As I said on Wednesday, these messages and as we preach the gospel, they don't change because the word doesn't change. You know, you know I've read John Calvin books uh, and he could be in the next room speaking. Yeah. And it's 400 years ago and he could be in the next room because the word of God doesn't change. It's the same today, tomorrow and forever. And when we speak, preach expository communication it never changes so if anything you are ever doing or uh, you know you're asked to speak something you never know what God will do with your life you're asked to speak somewhere or asked to share something at some point maybe it'll be in a small group or with kids or with women or or wherever in a men's ministry uh, we want you to be able to go to these things and draw in these scriptures and it saves so I, I, I'm, I'm putting in all the work and you can go to the benefit and and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's that's a great thing. Many men greater than I have went before me doing this. And I'm grateful for the commentaries that they write in these words where they've studied hundreds and hundreds of hours so that the scripture, what, what it means is what we hear yeah. and not something else, which really brings me to where we're going this morning. And I, I love this as I've been studying this uh, and as John's gospel as it just continues to grow and, and illuminate and become even more, uh, even deeper than I could ever imagine. So uh, the, subheading, the subheading for this morning is this, uh, protecting the true gospel and walking in water. This is the story of Jesus walking <laughs> in the water. And uh, maybe not as you know it, uh, well, maybe maybe as as you know it, but it's certainly we're going to talk about it as the scripture sees it. Uh, and this is where we finished off last week, John six, and Jesus now is still in his ministry and this Galilean ministry, and he's gathered such notoriety. Multitudes of crowds are following them, but they're not following them for the right reason. They're following them because they see signs and wonders and they want miracles. And this seems to happen all over the place, and it's very similar to what's happened in the church today. John six fifteen. This is where we finished last week. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. We talked about that last week. No getting caught up in in people's agenda and people's drama. and as we started last week, we spoke about Jesus feeding the 5,000. We also spoke in depth about how he and his disciples retreated from that crowd. And, and we closed with this verse 15 and Jesus departing himself again to this solitary place because the crowd wanted to make him king. Meaning, meaning no, no in a good way, but they wanted to make him the fixer, the, the problem solver, the enabler, the lucky charm, the facilitator. Um, to to help people with their wants and desires. Exactly what's happening in the church, uh, the the modern church today, and particularly the charismatic church worldwide, it's happening. And and Jesus fed the crowd, not to facilitate their desires, but more to reveal their desires. No, and often that harms. He fed them just to show them, look, this is who they're after. This is what they're after. They're not after the true saviour and the modern church today is like this. We have reduced Jesus to someone who simply gives people their wants. They have now decided who Jesus is to them. Uh, in their terms, to make people successful. 
See, this is the prosperity gospel we hear every single day in church. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's so subtle that you miss it. Uh, they have this, no, they're no preaching the gospel as it should be. They've decided that Jesus is in their terms to make people successful, to make people prosperous. Uh, this is the Jesus of the church today. What happens is Jesus retreats from these churches. This is what happens. Jesus retreats from these type of churches. He, he, we don't know he's retreated because we're all still pursuing and everybody's still pursuing with their wants and their needs and Jesus is the lucky charm and the rabbit's foot and he'll get me a get-out-of-jail-free card and he'll get me money and he'll get me prosperity and he'll get me health and he'll get me wealth and he'll get me the job and he'll get me the favour and he'll get me the man and the woman and he'll make everything okay. And this is why Jesus retreated because that's who they were wanting to make him. You're going to be our lucky charm. You're going to be our facilitator. No, and if you've ever been in church, no, before you came to this church at any length of time, you've been in that. Yeah. You've been in that place. That's who he was. He was this, he was this prosperity <coughs> gospel, this pros- prosperity leader who, who actually was beneath you because he was here to facilitate you and serve you and get all your wants and needs met. And he retreated. From the Jews, and this is what he does here. He retreats from the church. He's retreated from the church. We don't know he's long, no longer there. He's long gone. He's long gone because Jesus won't be around about a place where we are worshiping the wrong God because it doesn't help us because he loves us too much. Yeah. He loves us too much to, to, to become that to us. Uh, and the Jewish crowd, or this is all they wanted. He's not anywhere near that charade or fake healings or fake prophecies or prosperity naming and claiming. He's nowhere near it. This is why he retreated because that was the type of king they wanted and it's the type of Jesus we've created in the church today. If we preach the wrong Christ and the wrong gospel and all we do is feed people's wants and desires, this is what Jesus is teaching not just through chapter 6, chapter 5, chapter 4. He was, he, was, he was at it with Nicodemus in chapter 3. It seems to be everywhere in the Gospel of John. Everywhere where people have, he, he performs miracles to show who he is and to show his deity and sovereignty. But then people latch onto the miracle and they latch onto the healing and they latch onto the profound thing that he's done and then they build everything round about that. This is, what's, this is the church this is the church today. Yeah. This is the exact picture of the church today. And Jesus is writing this, or John's writing this, 2,000 years ago. 50 AD, around 50 AD. To feed people's desires, that's what they wanted. They will turn Jesus into something he's not. And the longer they do it, this is what happens. See, the longer they do it, the further the true Christ departs from the church. The longer it happens, the, the more watered down Christ becomes and the more watered down the gospel becomes and Jesus becomes this good guy or a friend or, or somebody that serves you. Yeah. The further he departs, and this is what happens, the further Jesus departs, the true Christ being preached, the further he departs, the more absurd things will happen in the church to replicate his absence. So what happens is now absurd things are in church to replicate the absence of the gospel and to replicate the absence of the true Christ. So now it's all absurd now. Now we've got all sorts of crazy stuff happening in church. Now everybody, now yet people can heal at will. We can heal at will. We've got prophecies left, right and centre. We're naming and claiming everything. And all the stuff that goes with it and it's accepted. And the charismatics accept it. And even the reformed so-called charismatics, they don't say enough about it. And the church keeps on going and it keeps on being further lost. Let me move on here. Uh, I don't even know something's come up on this uh, iPad. Uh, So let, let me just move on here. He's no that fixer, he's no that enabler. The modern church today is like this. I'm just moving through this. And what happens is, is Jesus retreats. Uh, and it's no the true Christ and he departs it. 
And the further he departs, the more absurd things become. And Jesus from around chapter 3 is doing this. He's, he's constantly teaching us. Yeah. He's constantly, he's constantly teaching us. And to me, the only freedom for that is to, is to preach the true gospel. Yeah. This is why John has wrote what he's wrote. This is why how it is, is he follows Christ. And this is why we are so in the detail in this church now. Yeah. We have to be so in the detail of the scripture because without the full detail and the full scripture, we turn Jesus and mold him into your image. Yeah. See, when you only preach a tiny bit of the gospel and then, see, this is, this is what happens in modern church, contemporary church. I know, I've done it. I'm not talking for what I've read or what I've seen. I'm talking about for what I've done. And what happens is, this is what you hear in contemporary preaching. They're looking for a new angle. There's no new angle. New angle means a new Jesus. There's no new angle. New angle means uh, we're looking for a new angle. We're looking for this to excite the crowd. We're looking for this to get more people in. We're looking for this. And, and Jesus is the, we're starting to mould him in our image. Now, listen to this. If we did talk about the water into wine, think about this. If we did talk about the water into wine, which we did in the Can- in, in Canaan chapter 2, yeah. where Jesus goes to the feast and the wedding and he turns water into wine, and turn that message into a supply message. Yeah. God gives and fills our lack and our need. Yeah. Instead, he reading the whole scripture to explaining that it was about to say that Jesus is way more than your average prophet. Yeah. He is the son of God. Yeah. Now, if we only take that wee portion of the scripture and then create a message run about that scripture and create something run about that to get you hooked in it, to yeah. give you hope, to give you a vict- to give you a victory lap and to send you into a frenzy about who you can be and what you can do and what you can achieve. Yeah. What happens is, is Jesus departs. Yeah. Because we turn Jesus into something else. Uh, if we had to turn the healing of the man at the pool, imagine we just read a wee bit. Imagine we just read a wee bit, a new angle. No, if we just to read a wee bit, rather than the whole scripture in the detail, if we just to read a part of that and had to turn the healing of the man at the pool who, who walked to his bed. You know, the snow, we, we've, we've just been in it in chapter 5. Uh, and preach that if we stir up Christ, see, this is the message, this is the angle. If we stir up Christ instead, uh, and if we pick up our beds, and we will get a healing. And never to give up in hope of that miracle happen, no matter how long you've been that way. That's the angle. That's the angle. And then we debate, the, we dissect that, and we bring it in, how it's going to help the church grow and get you amazing. Uh, Instead of getting into detail, verse by verse, scripture and scripture, and saying that Jesus was using this guy, as we know, to simply reveal the crazy religion. So when the man carried the bed, it was on the Sabbath, because he wanted everybody to see that he was carrying this bed on the Sabbath to see the ludicrousness of the religion. If we don't share that, if we don't share that, Jesus will depart. He will depart because we're no longer, we've no longer got Christ. We've no longer got the full gospel. What about if we teach uh, turning up and giving us eternal life when we are down like the woman at the well? What if we teach that? You know, you're down in your luck. You just turn up at the well and you feel inadequate. You feel inferior, but don't worry, Jesus is going to fill you. If we teach that yeah. and give an angle on that, which I could do no problem and go all psychology with it and give a great angle about that, it would make you feel amazing. Yeah. Make you feel terrific. But if we only teach that and we stop at verse 15 and we don't go to verse 16 and we don't say, can you go and get your husband? Can you go and get your husband? And we don't talk about repentance and we don't talk about that. Jesus will depart. Because that's not who Jesus is. That's not who Jesus is. And this is why we do what we do. Never, no, this, this is it's hard because if you're not used to this, it's easy for us. But if you come for another church and you come for that charismatic, contemporary church and 
spirit-filled and anointing and all that stuff, and you come here and you go, oh, oh, it's no exciting enough. It's no exciting enough. I want more excitement. I'm not feeling special by the end of the service. No, you're not feeling anything. You're not feeling, I tell you, you're not getting, you're not getting Christ. And this is where we're at today. This is, this is why Jesus is explaining this in chapter 6. We turn Jesus into this provider without any need for change or confession of our, on our part. If we talk about feeding the 5,000, what if we talk about feeding the 5,000? Is Jesus meeting our needs? Or, as I spoke last week, you're just that little boy who's just gave his two wee fish. He's wee, two wee pickled fish. And he's five wee bellinis. He's two pickled fish and five bellinis. Well, if you don't know what bellinis are, five wee... Ah, you know what they are. Two pickled fish and five bellinis. That's, that's who you need to be. See, we teach that. And that's all we teach, but we don't get into the detail that Jesus was moved with compassion because he's seen the people as, as sheep without a shepherd and what he was trying to achieve. If we don't get into that detail, then Jesus departs. Yeah. He's no longer part of the church. He's, he's out with the church going, what is this charade? You, you obviously don't need me. You've got enough understanding and psychology and philosophy and you've got enough angles. You've got enough angles that you'll never need me again. This is where it's became. And I'm so glad, and I hope you are, I hope you part of this, is so glad that we're away from that and we're in the detail of the scripture because that is the only thing that's going to change your life. Sola Scriptura is the only thing that's going to get you to see the, the fullness of Christ. And this is what will take to mind, man. We go there and we don't know if that is a, if they are a reformed type of thinking church or not. Most of the churches in the Eastern world have become charismatic as well because they, they, they draw in where they've seen it on the television. Yeah, yeah. They draw in the God channel. Yeah. They draw in the Kenneth Copelands of the world. And why would they know when they're so poor? Yeah. Why would they know when they're so poor? Why would they know when they're facing such hardship and persecution? Why would they know? Who would they rather have? Pastor Mark, who's going through scripture by scripture, verse by verse. Or Kenneth Copeland is going to tell you a millionaire before he, sit, before he ships off on his super jet back home in America. Yeah. We can maybe get a jet like that, Kenneth Copeland. Can we get a jet like Kenneth? No problem. Give to your ministry. You can get that. What are they going to have? And you know what? They're going to get nothing. They're going to have nothing, nothing, because the chances of them getting that jet are less than none. The chances of probably getting out their hardship is great, is highly unlikely. The chances of them prospering and everything they do is highly unlikely. But if we can preach the gospel, the full gospel, as it's said, then maybe their soul will prosper, which is the only thing that matters. Captivity. Captivity is no geographical. It's no geographical. We're in a country where we've got an opportunity to be free, yet we're not. Yeah. Captivity isn't geographical. It's in here and it's in here. Yeah. So if we can help them get free by understanding the scripture, rather than our new take and our new angle. But why do we do it? Well, it gets a crowd. We're frightened. We start to play to the crowd. And this is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. We're no playing to the crowd. If we keep playing to the crowd, then they'll keep picking the tune. And they'll keep deciding what they want and what they need. It's like children. You see it today in society. Three-year-olds dictating how the households run. How sad's that? A three-year-old. At the moment, you're no toilet trained, but you know how to run the house. Um, excuse me. Excuse me, you can't even control your bowels yet. <laughs> but you think you can control the house? This is what's happening, isn't it? Yeah. It's what's happening and it's so similar. What, what's caused with it? Parents no taking authority. No taking authority, no taking control. The need for them to be loved. They can't cope that their child's in a bad mood with them. And a million and one other things. So what do they do? They give them what they want. I was getting into the... 
hate to say this, it sounds dead vain. I was going to the sunbed place. Oh, you don't go there. Listen, it's 40 degree heat. I'm blue. Self-preservation. So I'm going to, yes, I'm going to the sunbed place. Yes, and there's these two kids. I've never, I, I couldn't believe what I've seen. So I get my car and I'm, I'm walking towards it. And I, I, I would say they were about no more than four years of age. The two of them were sitting in, no, one was in the passenger seat anyway. The two of them leapt over to the, over to the window of the thing, started shouting and bawling at me. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I thought, they must think I'm somebody else. I swear, giving me the fingers and everything. They were about four and their mother sitting like that. And I walked into the sunbed and the, the girl in the sunbed says, did you just get a mouthful? I says, aye. She says, I've just put them out. She says, I've had to put the two girls out. I says, where'd you see their brother? He's on the rampage in the sunbed place. <laughs> the next thing he comes running around, he's trying to steal the till. I'm no joking. The mother was uh, in the car. It was the auntie that was in the sunbed. The mother says, I says, what did the mother say? The mother says, oh, they're just kids. Can he cope? Can he cope? Can he cope with no giving them what they want? Can I cope with no giving them what they want because of the, the desperate need for their need to be needed and wanted and loved? This is a sickness. This is of pandemic proportions in our society today. Absolutely pandemic proportions. It's frightening. And it's scary. And, and it ought not to be. And, and we have to teach about tackling that. Yeah. We have to teach about tackling that. And the social services are stretched to death with it. And they're not any flipping better. Do you know why they're not any better? Because they're trained in a job, but they're no vetted as a human. There's a problem. They're trained in a job, but no vetted as a human. So they can do their job, but they don't necessarily need to be a good human. You get people in services all over the world. This is true. You have people in services over the world and they can tick their box and they can name it and they can tell you the policy, every single thing they do, but they've not been vetted as a human. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Anyway, the wee girls just, I just, I just walked away and, didn't, and I was like, oh, I better not say anything here in case I get battered by these two wee lassies. <laughs> This is the detail of these verses that Jesus is going into. This is the detail. This is why he's explaining this. Uh, wrong interpretation. Shallow interpretation. Wrong Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's just, we just produced the wrong Jesus. And it equals no freedom. No true salvation. Which is the problem in church today. That, it's, that most people that come to church are not truly saved. They're not truly saved. You can usually tell after talking to somebody for two minutes. They're not truly saved. No eternity. No heaven. We could easily... We could easily go off on one each week, couldn't we? Each week we could easily go off on one. Just go and look at some of the archives. Yeah. And share stuff that's no biblically accurate. Yeah. Uh, because we think it's, it's lazy to just... Line upon line, precept upon precept. We think it's lazy. Uh, because we want everybody to feel amazing. And here's these people want to feel amazing. These Jews are wanting to feel amazing all the time. And Jesus is reneging, totally refusing point blank to meet their flesh and need. Refusing to meet their flesh and need. And not only that, documenting it in the word. Documenting it in the word so that we know John's constantly, six chapters, it's, it's the miracle and it's who Jesus is. And at the end of almost every, this is the exact same, at the end of almost every wee mini chapter is explaining this, is explaining the human tendency, the human tendency, he want a human God. The human tendency to, to be totally unable to comprehend a God that's anything other than human. That's anything other than like them. That's anything other than how they formed them and their likeness and image. We end up thinking we're too blessed to be stressed. 
I'm just too blessed. You ever heard that? I'm too blessed to be... We were at a meeting one time, there were this woman, she was... I'm not saying anything. But anyway, we were at this, we were at this training day and somebody said something. She says, I'm too blessed to be stressed. She was, that's what she says. She was a Christian, I think. Well, I don't know. Anyway, do you know what the guy says? The guy says to her, thank God, that's wonderful. This meeting will no help you then. And she went, how dare... She took a resentment. And I turned around and nudged her. I says, I thought you were too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> she instantly lost it because it was learned behaviour. And you think, well, it won't change your life, that stuff. It will change your life. It will just change it for the worst. It just won't change you into becoming a disciple for Christ. Okay, that's the introduction to this, chapter 6, verse 16 to 21. There's only six, five verses, so we should be okay. But it lets you know what Jesus is. This is his purpose here. Now when the evening come, this is then Jesus' departed to mountain. Now when the evening come, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and went over the sea towards Capernaum and it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. After Jesus retreats, for all the reasons I've just said, uh, he sends the disciples away. Why? Why does he send the disciples away? This is classic. Because see, at this moment, the disciples are excited with their enthusiasm. This is a common problem for people young in their faith. People, they get excited about the crowd's excitement. Oh, we're going to make you king. The disciples are like, this is awesome. This is awesome. They're going to make, they're going to make Jesus king. What do you think? What do you think? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. They're going to make Jesus king. They're going to... Everybody will know him as we know him. It's great. And Jesus is like, uh, mm, 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 mm. no, 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 no. You're getting caught up in the enthusiasm. One of the problems in church, I've seen it with pastors, and you know, they get caught up with people's and people come, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. It's the best place I've ever been. Oh, 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 I'm glad I found this job. It's amazing. What you do is you feed them that need. You feed them that need. Three weeks later, there's no love in the church. Yeah. When they're not getting it. This is, what church, this, is, this is how contemporary churches are built today. It's that moment the disciples don't comprehend the crowd reason for wanting to make Jesus king. It's the exact same reason why immature Christians at times don't understand why enthusiasm doesn't mean that the people want Jesus. Enthusiasm does not equal you want Jesus. It just means that you're enthusiastic. Some people are enthusiastic about anything. So what happens, in, what happens in the contemporary church? We give acceptance right away. Well, that's wonderful when you've felt rejected your whole life, isn't it? Let's make you feel special. Now, that, now, now it's no Christ you're looking for, it's to feel special and accepted. Yeah. Then the next week you need that again, and you need that again, and you need that again, and you need that again. So Jesus is teaching the disciples who are very young in their faith here. They think it's great that Jesus is now getting the recognition he deserves. He's getting the recognition he deserves, and Jesus like, bolt. Go away, get away from this crowd. You have no got you're going to start feeding them exactly what they want. They're excited at the praise and the fame they're getting. But it's clouding their judgment. Celebrity pastors. They get caught up with the praise that they get. They get caught up with the accolade that they get. They get caught up with their name being in lights. They get caught up with all that stuff and the crowd then tell them you're I like this church. Nobody tells me I'm amazing. Good. Good lap. How's your pastor? Decidedly average. But the word's good. That's perfect. I like that. That's good. And they must be like, why are we getting put in a boat? You think they must be like, why are we getting put in a boat for? I've seen this in church over the years. Hold on to I was singing last week. And I was outstanding. <laughs> why am I not on next week? For that reason, <laughs> for that exact reason, you're known because it's about you. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? This is why Jesus is doing this to the disciples. You're getting above your station here. You're getting caught up in the crowd's praise that what's going to happen is it's going to manipulate you. And eventually, what's going to happen, slowly but surely, you're going to start feeding what they want because they praise you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because they're praising you, you know, you need to keep them happy. Yeah. Why is that one you can keep you happy? Why are we getting put in a boat? They must be thinking, the crowd love us. Jesus, what are you doing here? The crowd love us. Like they must be like, the crowd love us. You're, you're removing us, you're putting us away. Or maybe they're just thinking, maybe they're just thinking, you know what? Foxes and rabbits are foes, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Let's one more. Either way, at this moment, they have no clue why Jesus is removing them from the crowd. No clue whatsoever. But what he was doing is he was protecting their youthful enthusiasm and vulnerability and naivety. In order to truly disciple people, we need to protect people's vulnerability and enthusiasm. The modern church doesn't have that. It whips all the, all the new people into a frenzy. All the new people can have never felt such special love, never felt so included, never felt so part of something amazing. And they get caught on that enthusiastic trap. Always, always, always going to implode. Always, always going to have a mass exodus. Always going to go pear-shaped. As you find, as, as I'll tell you why it'll go pear-shaped. Because persecution will come at some point. And see when persecution comes, see the enthusiastic crowd, you find out that they were no interested in God whatsoever. Oh, persecution purifies your church. One of the messages I'm going to preach in Myanmar is about is that soul created havoc. You know, I've done a message on the thinking church. Soul created havoc. I've done my thinking church just to let you know it was just that busy, but it will go out. Monday, move it, right? <laughs> it will get, it's the first question you've got right that I've asked you here. <laughs> Use your lap. Uh, and what happens is the persecution comes and then they're asked to dig deep and they're asked to dig into their faith and they're asked to press into their faith and where they're at and then you find out there's no solid foundation. There's no rock, there's no built in a solid foundation. And they tumble. That's why persecution is great for a church because it purifies the church and it strengthens the church and who's meant to be there and who's not. And it, it's great. That's why I'm excited to know Myanmar will be a persecuted church. But you know what? See that scattering and that havoc it strengthens your faith and it lets you know whether you're just here because you like a wee day out. Oh, we're, la- <laughs> we're laughing. Uh, I was talking to Bruce and Barbara and son uh, Wednesday night. It's classic. So we're talking there and I says, listen, we've got some rules that we've to do and we have to go to Myanmar. And I says, one kind of rules, and he says, one of the things that they've told me, right? One of the things that they've told me is, is the culture is that they don't like being challenged. So that's I said, I said that the culture, and honestly, Barbara nearly choked in her crispy creme. <laughs> she, no, and I've no, I don't really know Barbara that well, but we were sitting, we're talking. And we were mentioning that, and she was like, ah. <laughs> She nearly had a heart attack. She was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. They're going to have a nightmare. Because right away, she knows she's been in church long enough to know, that ain't going to harm. That ain't going to harm. So if the word says challenge, then it'll be challenged. Yeah. And Jesus is here protecting this youthful naivety. And over the years, I've seen many believers and pastors getting caught up in crowds, applause and success and numbers. But, you know, you have to keep feeding that. You have to keep feeding that monster. You have to keep feeding that monster to keep people coming. Continue to give them a wrong perspective of things just to keep them happy. No, you're a sinner. You need to repent. You're tight-fisted. You're no, whatever it is. You need to get through that. If that's what it comes... See, when you're going through the scripture, if that's what it comes to, you need to see it. But you go, whoop. They're looking for a different kind of king. They're looking for a different kind of king. Let's avoid that. Let's avoid that stuff. Keep them sweet. No, let's know. Because true love is no about that. True love is to preach the gospel into people's life and, and build disciples that that they'll withstand any storm. How often they, 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 they learn 
they end up learning what gets the crowd amening and what stirs them and what gathers them and what gathers them has to keep replicating it. So we have to keep replicating what gathers them. This is how it operates. So you get a crowd at an event. I've got the T-shirt, eh? So you get a crowd at an event, you go, that's what got that crowd at the event. Okay, you get an event, you do a crowd, you get the crowd. It's easy to get a crowd. Give freebies and pizza. Listen, you get empty. Get anybody coming in. Anybody. Or tell them they're amazing, they're a superstar and they're set apart for whatever. Whatever nonsense you want to tell them. You know what I mean? And you you tell them that and then you get the crowd and then you know what worked. And then you keep on replicating it. And then you get another crowd and you get a guest speaker in. You get his name in bright lights and you get the guest speaker in. And that gets people from other churches. They're not even interested. They're just, they're event-based Christians. They're not even committed to Christ at all. They would take a day off for anything. They, honestly, they would, they would take a day off. I used to have a guy at work where he took a day off with a, a broken flask. This is, that, 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 that isn't true, but I'll tell you one, it is true. There was a guy who used to work with us and he took a day off because his boots were wet. I, they weren't dry enough for the next day. Do you know what I says? I says, give yourself a couple of months to get them dry then, we'll see you then. I says, I says see, see once they're dry, get yourself down to the job centre. <laughs> My boots were wet. People will take a day off anything. They'll take a day off for anything. And this is what happens in church and that's, so, that's how it is. Why? Because it has to be that event. And that's what we start replicating. We replicate what got the crowd. Yeah. This is what Jesus is deeply teaching these disciples. Keep replicating it and turning the church into a free-for-all, come-and-get-stuff organisation. Come and get it. Come and get it. Come and get it. What are we talking about here? See if it's not in line with the gospel. Don't do it. Yeah. See if it's not preaching the gospel. Don't do it at all. About, oh, we're having acts of kindness. Oh, we're having this. We're having. We've done it. Back to school uniforms. Get a crowd. People were walking up. Uniform off. Oh, interested? No gospel. Nothing. Because what happens is, is the crowd dictate what you speak to them. About. They start dictating how you speak to them. And you go to get away from that. Well, oh no, we'll give them a, we'll, we'll, we'll sneak them in. We'll sneak them in. Begin them school uniforms. We'll sneak them in. Begin them big super Easter eggs. And then we'll get rid of them. Listen, they're, not, they're here for the egg. Yeah. Ah, but they'll hear the gospel anyway. No, 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 no. They've got to come. They've got to come for the gospel. They've got to come for the gospel. We've got it. See, the church is changing. You don't need to come for that anymore. You can come for anything, but you hear the right thing. Never get true salvation. Never. Often they eventually leave when the need stops getting met. They stop getting the egg. Or the demand changes. Either way, it's all down to the whole counsel of God not being preached. Either way, it's down to the whole counsel of God not being preached and having man-made culture corporation. A man-made culture corporation rather than the Bible dictating and guiding how the church is built. And Jesus is protecting. Who's he protecting? He's protecting his prize assets, these disciples, for getting hijacked with enthusiasm and the crowd. I better move on here. We have to always play to the beat of the gospel, yeah. not to the beat of the crowd. Yeah. If you keep playing to the beat of the crowd, they will always pick the tune. They will always pick the tune they want, and it'll be the lowest common denominator, the lowest common level of faith. Verse 18. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. As they sailed across the lake, it's the lake, but it's the Sea of Tiberias as well, same, same thing. There was a windswell and it, it blew the small boat and the disciples were new, of course. This is what's happened. They're new in the boat. They've waited in Jesus the lap. It's no coming. We'll need to go. It says, now this was about around 3 or 4 a.m. by this point. 3 or 4 a.m. It says it was in, in Mark's gospel, which parallels us. Mark 6 parallels this story, as does Matthew 14, if you want to get into detail, any more detail with this story. Uh, and it says in Mark and Matthew that it was the third watch of the night, so somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. Verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking. Well, no, this is not any electric boats here. They're, they're getting at this. Walking in the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. No wonder. 
It says in Mark's gospel that they thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a ghost. The word ghost here means in Greek, it means in Greek, phantasima, which actually means imagination. It's something in their imagination. Uh, a, a creature of imagination. That's what they thought. This is, this is in their imagination. Some people put this, do you know what some people put this whole scene, Jesus doing to the disciples' imagination? This is what happened in the time. Uh, these are experienced fishermen, so they would be used to storms and boat, and seven of them out of the 12 at this point, seven of them were fishermen. So they could handle a storm. They, there's maybe one or two they couldn't handle, but what they couldn't handle was a lone figure four mile out. Four mile out, a lone figure, effortlessly gliding, walking on the water. We're not talking, we're not talking here. What do you call him? We're not talking dynamo, magician, magic here. We're talking sovereign God, gliding, walking in water. Mark's gospel says he was walking in water. And his go- he actually says in Mark's gospel that he would have, 648, that he actually would have passed by. That's how they think. They're just like, here's this, he's just walking, gliding, he would have passed by. This is no Jesus simply performing magic or showing off. It's, it's to highlight again his sovereign power and authority. To say, you, you, you see disciples, you see men, you see you as 12. I'm not the king who meets people's needs. And I'm not the king who meets people's wants. I'm the God whose authority to create the very wind and control it. And we see it in this moment. He's continually reminding the disciples... Don't reduce me to a human helper. And it's our human nature to keep reducing Jesus to a a human helper. And the minute we keep on reducing Jesus or any time we we reduce it, I'm in a constant battle. I have to be honest, it's a constant battle to not reduce Jesus to a human help. To keep him bigger and more sovereign and above and to be beyond anything. That's why we worry so much. That's why we struggle so much. That's why we battle so much. That's why we, we, we panic so much. Because we keep on reducing Jesus to no more than a human help. And he's constantly reminding the disciples. Constantly. I'm more than a human help. I'm way beyond a human help. It's so easy. Don't you think you forget how powerful Jesus is? It's so easy to forget how powerful God is, who he truly is. Do you know a tiny pea brain can't he always comprehend how wide and how big, you know, that he casts the stars with his hand and he numbers them by name? What? Billions upon stars and he's got a name for them? It's hard for us to comprehend a God that size. We're forever reducing them to that. That's why we need the whole scripture. See, if we don't keep preaching the whole scripture, we'll keep on reducing Jesus to our human understanding. That's why in Alcoholics Anonymous in recovery programs, this is why predominantly they work to an extent, but they don't work overall to bring salvation to people's life because God's reduced to their own understanding. That means God's always going to be smaller than your brain. It's a problem. Some doubters and non-believers, this is what doubters and non-believers say, was actually that Jesus was on the shore. This was their argument. Jesus was on the shore, walking along the shore. Okay? Walking along the shore. And when the disciples looked to, they thought he was walking in the water, but he was actually walking along the shore. Four mile out. In the pitch dark. I mean, the disciples are four mile out, okay? But, but they might think that they're a mile out. Okay, they're just a mile out. They, to think that, that was bad. Verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. What relief for the disciples. More than that, it's more than relief. It's an understatement. It's total awe and shock. Imagine, you're, Jesus, you're in a boat. There's a storm. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. I'm like, what? What? It's crazy. And we have to move, and we're just bringing this into close. We have to move briefly here, just just ever so slightly into Matthew 14, because there's another story in here that John doesn't explain. There's a reason John doesn't tell you this story uh, 
in, in Matthew 15 that's happened here is because we know that John's purpose is to, is to show the deity and the sovereignty of God. No man's relationship with God, but God's relationship with man. The other Gospels, are, a lot of it is to do with man's relationship with God. Yeah. But this is, but God, John's Gospel is to show the sovereignty of Christ and, and show that it's God's relationship with man. Yeah. So therefore, he doesn't tell this story. Let's go to Matthew 14. Uh, so this is, so Jesus says, don't be afraid. In Matthew 14, it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, this is where Peter walks in water, but it's no mentioned in John. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go with Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they get in the boat, the wind ceased. Here is Peter, ever bold. Let me just explain here. Let me just let, let, let me just explain here. This is why I love John's gospel. I love all the other gospels. This is why I love John's gospel. And this highlights why we've been speaking about what we've been speaking about today. See, what happens with this whole story about Jesus walking in water, but we've been into the detail about. This story is usually talked for, for Matthew. It's not talked much for John. Because it wants to be talked for, for the Peter getting out the boat thing. And it takes a wee angle, do you understand? It takes a wee angle. And this wee angle does not see the wholeness and the completeness and the, and the, and the, 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 the sovereignty and the deity and the, the massiveness of God. So we end up zooming in and Peter, if you want to walk in water, you have to go out the boat. Yeah. No, all that stuff. And it becomes that. That becomes the message. Yeah. So we miss out in the whole Christ. Yeah. And this is why we have to cross-reference. Because Peter walking in the boat... Now as you're listening here, you're like, ah, Peter Walker, what artist? It doesn't excite you as much, does it, no? But I bet you when you didn't you hear it before, you're like, that's amazing, that's all about Peter. Because you want to walk in water and it becomes so small. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? It becomes so small. And this is why we need the whole scripture. Do we get this? Do you understand what we're doing? Yeah. I know you understand what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Yeah. So here, Peter, ever the bold, ever the impatient, he can't wait to get Jesus to... He can't wait and Jesus coming to the boat. So he cries out to him. This is class. No, Peter's always classed as this idiot or somehow over... He is over boisterous. But there's only one way as you study this why Peter done this. It's because he loved Jesus. Yeah. It's the only reason he done it. It's because he loved Jesus. No, yeah, he denied Christ, but see even when Peter denied Christ, see, see, see at the funeral, he was still trying to get as close as possible. Even though he denied Christ, he, he was still trying to get as close as possible. You know, when Jesus was washing their feet, and Peter says, no, you'll not ever wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, you can't be my disciple. He says, no, only my feet, but my head and my hands as well. He's not saying that because he's like, no, you, you're, you'll never do that for me. It's because he's humble. No, don't get me wrong, he did rebuke Jesus and all, so that is a bit stupid, okay? So he has got that going on as well, Okay. The last thing Peter would have done, though, if it was a ghost, was call out to come and walk in water. See if you thought that was... Like, no chance am I going to... He's not going to ask an unidentified ghost. Yeah. He's not going to say, an unidentified ghost. Unidentified ghost. Call me forward. He's never going to say that. The likely reason is that he's overjoyed to see Jesus. That he can't wait to be close to him. This is, his, this is more than likely the reason. And Peter gets a lot of rap, but he's... But he'd rather be with Jesus in the storm, in the water, than on his own in a boat. It's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. Where would you rather be, with Jesus on the water, or in a boat on your own? Yeah. I know where I would rather be. This miracle was not about Jesus, by the way. This miracle was not about Jesus teaching you how to walk in water. Okay, which then that comes that angle message. If you want to walk in water, you've got to get the boat. This is no about this. This isn't Jesus teaching you, waiting up teaching you how to walk in water. This is Jesus merely teaching us that, listen, I'm beyond that king that they're telling me, Anna. I'm way beyond that provider that they're saying. And Peter had little faith. It says that he'd little, I know you're thinking, what? He had little faith, but it was still enough for him to get the boat. That's a great thing. He didn't have a lot. 
But what happens is, is obviously takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the storm and he's faith weakened. That happens to every one of us. The minute that we don't keep our eyes on Jesus, we all start to sink. Yeah. It's as simple as that. It's nothing, it's nothing deeper or nothing more profound than that. That is it. The minute that we take our eyes off Christ, we all start to sink. And we start to look at the problems in our life and we start to look at the drama in our life and we start to look at the dark clouds in our life and we start to look at the drama in our life and we start to look at the troubles in our life. You're all going to sink. Everyone is going to start sinking. You know, of course we are. During trials, during troubles, during storms, you should read, if you read Peter another time, we'll no get If you read Peter, Peter, Peter tells us, and I think it's one Peter, can he make it sound better? One Peter, somewhere. <laughs> He talks about that when you face trials and you face this stuff, but knowing that it's producing and it's strengthening your faith. It talks about it in the book of James as well, but Peter goes into detail about it, and he's obviously referring to this stuff. Like Peter, we need only to cry out, though. This is a great thing. Like Peter, we need only cry out. Oh, Callum said at the start, we need only cry out. Jesus, help us. Jesus, save us. Peter cries out, Jesus, save us, and he does. Let's close John six twenty one. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. The whole purpose is summed up. This whole purpose, what I've mentioned, is summed up in Mark 6, less so in John. It's summed up in Mark 6. Let's, I want to read this and this is my close. Mark 6, 51 to 52. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled. Listen to this, listen to this verse, I love it. For they had not understood about the loaves. That's what walking the water was about. Do you hear me? For they had not understood about the loaves. The whole walking water was about this. See, every single story in the scripture, especially it just bookends, doesn't it? Just it gives you all the explanation, it gives you the problem, and it gives you the solution, and it brings it on. And it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. For their hearts were hardened. Hardened to what? They were hardened to see Jesus beyond anything in their mind other than just a king who serves needs. And they started to... It's not that they doubted Christ, it's that they reduced Christ. So Jesus has to create this thing. He creates this whole thing to send them away. I'm going to go to the mountain. You go to the boat. You go to the boat. He doesn't turn up the boat. They're in the boat. They're in the middle of the ocean. He comes walking up to them. He gets into the boat. Peter gets out. He gets into the boat. And it's all for this. For they had not understood the loss because the hearts were hardened. All that to teach the disciples that Jesus, that he is beyond the king, the servant, and the provider the crowd want. All that. How amazing. See, that is beyond anything. That is beyond the love that we could ever imagine in it. Yeah. And then see, when you read the scripture, you just go, oh, I could have never loved like that. Don't you think? Yeah. I'm like, I could have never loved like that. I could have never thought. My brain is no big enough to think that. My brain is no, I'm no wise enough to teach that. I'm no wise enough to teach people that. And this is why we have to share the scripture because no human's wise enough to teach that. No human's wise enough to understand that. No human's wise enough or get enough angles to to bring that type of teaching into people's hearts and minds. But if you just share the scripture. And the good teacher teaches it. As always, what was was Jesus doing as we close? Fraser, come up. As always, fulfilling John 20, 30 and 31. We finish every single... Seems to be every single time we preach John or talk about John, we finish it. What was the purpose? And truly, Jesus did many more other signs in the presence of his disciples. Some say that he'd done that many that you would never, and it says it, which are not written in the book. And it says that you could never fathom them, the millions and hundreds of thousands. The, you could never write them if there were enough paper, enough trees to write on, enough parchments. They could never be enough to write what he'd done. But it's why he'd done them. It's why he'd done them. It's no what he done, it's why he done. Which are not written in the book, but these are written that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, him, you have life in his name. 
This is the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would have life in his name. No, no life in his doing. No life in his behaviour. No life in his miracles. But in his very name. That we have life in his name. This is why we preach what we preach. This is why we are where we are. This is why we are solo scriptura. This is why we're defenders of the faith. This is why the whole counsel and the whole gospel of the word of God must be preached. This is the only thing that renews your mind and transforms you and transforms how you think and how you feel and takes you away from worldly desires and worldly needs and worldly service. And it's the only thing that builds disciples, produces disciples and builds a healthy church. It's the only thing I'll do. Nothing else will build a healthy church. It's not about numbers. It's not about crowds. It's not about pleasing people. It's not about giving people their needs. It's about giving people the full gospel of God and the full gospel of Christ. He's done this with the disciples. Praise God that we're privileged that he's done it with us here in this church. It's took us a while, hasn't it? It's took us a while, but you know what? I'm I'm so grateful. Could it not? I'm so grateful for the journey that's led us to this place. Yeah. Oh. And it's, it's, it, it, it surely isn't a sprint in it. It's an endurance race, as Apostle Paul says. It's, an endu- it's a marathon. Yeah. It's a marathon. It's a marathon to totally change how we think. And I'm so grateful that I, slowly but surely I'm seeing Jesus differently. I want to say this as a closing. Time has gone. Yeah. I don't want to say too much about it because I talk about it in my thinking church because my thinking church is not really a message as such. It's just a, a heart thing. Uh, and I was down visiting my dad uh, on Saturday, yesterday morning. And I was down visiting him and he was in his bed. He's really poorly. Uh, and he woke up and he was rubbing his eye and he's, he's just a wee frail, really frail human being and I know some of these have went through that stuff, so I'm not trying to make myself any experience some that other people have me. I'm not saying it for that reason. Uh, and I know some of these maybe never had that opportunity, so it's, it's no good for anybody, you know. So I'm not trying to paint a picture here. He's some that I shouldn't have. But anyway, he woke up and he was rubbing his eye and he got him in his heart and he just smiled. I says, you all right, Dad? He says, aye, and I kind of, I didn't really prop him up. He, he, he can't really at the moment. He's just where he's at. But I just sat there and I held his hand and I was sitting there and I was, I was deeply, deeply moved with compassion. So moved with compassion. But you know why I was moved with compassion? And it, it just kind of came to me as I was sitting. Because I was, because this journey, this journey to freedom, this journey to uncoupling yourself with your family in a healthy way allows you to go in love with compassion. And it allows you to love without needing anything in return. To me, he's just a wee man who's... He's my dad and I honour him. He's just a wee frail man who's, who's on his way out. Uh, and I was able to sit there with him and pray. And I was just moved with compassion. And it was as if at that moment I got a tiny snippet. It was just... And I mean a tiny snippet. He what it must have been like when Christ stepped off the mountain to see the people. And he was moved with compassion. Or he sees Lazarus and he sees the people weeping. And he says he was moved with compassion and he wept. And I believe the reason Jesus had that level of compassion is because he had that level of freedom for humans. And I don't believe, you know, you if you've ever been to a wedding, you would have heard First Corinthians. Love does not that. What a nonsense. Total nonsense. Because it's usually, that, that scripture is usually read to two heathens getting married. Yeah. As if it's going to help. Love does not seek its own. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Ministers are taking weddings to heathens, saying that as if they're like, what does that mean? But truly I believe that in order to love that way and love not seek its own and not be puffed up and not be haughty and not be anger or no, all the stuff that goes with that that scripture, I believe you can't date until you're free. I think that's when you can love. I think you can... Only Christ can free us for that so that we can love totally. And I believe he was doing that with the disciples. He's saying, you need to get away from this crowd. They're going to turn you into something that you're not. And they're going to turn me into something I'm not. Not that you would have. But in their mind, they've turned them into something he's not. What happens then? Then we don't, we never taste and see that the Lord is good. We never really experience the true Christ and all his sovereignty. Amen. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.